Steve and Bethany sat in my office at Fort Lewis Army Base and just outside of Tacoma. I'd been in that unit probably about all of a year, year and a half. That week, Steve had come to me and he'd asked me to spend some time with him and his wife and he said that, you know, we're in real trouble. I don't know if our marriage is going to make it. So I said I'd be happy to spend time with them and sit down with them. The time arrived and they entered into my office and they sat down on the couch and they, they couldn't sit any further away from each other. Like one cheek was on one side of the couch, one cheek was on the other side. The room was filled with anger and brokenness. They didn't even look at each other. I usually begin my counseling sessions in prayer, and after I prayed, I, I turned to the soldier, because oftentimes sitting with a chaplain in uniform is a little bit intimidating for, for spouses, and I said, so Steve, what brings you guys in today? Steve, his voice quivering as he spoke, said, my wife has been cheating on me. Bravo Company had just returned from an extended time in the field, and that particular company commander liked being in the field a lot. And um, as they sat there, The story began to unfold. Bethany, no remorse in her voice whatsoever, began to tell the story of what took place. Steve had been gone for a while, and she'd gone out with some of the other military spouses and some of the other military wives, young wives. They had gone, and they'd gotten, gone drinking, and, and one thing had led to another, and there was this cute hunk of a cowboy guy there that she found to be very attractive as he was very focused on her and she went home with him and slept with him. She found such exhilaration and joy and happiness in the affair. And she, she's like, this guy's making me happy. I deserve to be happy and continued in the affair. And there she sat in my office, stone cold. Unrepentant. turned to Steve and asked a pretty dumb question. How are you dealing with this? Steve began to just weep, and then the weeping turned to anger. He hated her. He despised her. And in my heart, I began to plead with God. God, what words can I say in this moment? They need your deliverance. Otherwise, this marriage isn't going to make it. They're broken. They're hurting. They're devastated. They need you, God. Both of them in desperate need of God's deliverance. She needed to understand and be delivered from the denial of sin in her heart and her life and, and, and the lie of happiness 
that she had bought into. And he needed to be delivered from his hurt and the anger that filled his heart and his life. Thank goodness we read in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 about a God who does exactly that. If you turn over back to that passage, if you go ahead and open it, read along with me. And if you want a Bible this morning, we'd love to give you a Bible. If you've forgotten yours, we got some in the back, and we'd like to give it as a gift to you if you need one. But we really, you know, there's something powerful about reading the story yourself and going along. Thank you, Lizzie, for reading this morning. It was some tough words, some tough sledding this morning. We read here in the beginning in Exodus 22, but before we get there, I'll just give you a brief background of what we covered last week, because I don't want to take too long here, because there's a lot of material we're covering today. But last week, we dealt with three different things. The fact that the Israelite people have been brought to Egypt and preserved in Egypt um, by God's hand through this famine that was going on in the land. But they were strangers living in a strange land. And though being blessed by God, they absorbed some of the foreign lands idolatry, habits, traits, characteristics, and those will get exposed later on as we study more about this. But during this time, they're they're starting to soak these things up, being strangers in a foreign land. Well, a new pharaoh rose up that didn't know Joseph, and Joseph was the key character. If you want to know more about that, read back in Genesis. But Joseph was the key character that, that God used to bring him to the land of Egypt. And there rose a pharaoh. You understand pharaoh is like, a dictator-type person who is viewed as a god. And so Pharaoh, a new one, rose up that didn't know Joseph, didn't know Joseph's God, and he began to solve two problems that he saw. One problem was these Israelite people are growing so vast in number and are outnumbering the Egyptians, and we're in trouble if we don't do something about this immediately. So if you excuse the expression, he had an immigration problem. And then he had a problem of labor. He wants to be a well-known king, and he wants to build these supply cities and, and have them built up. And so he's got a labor problem. Well, in his mind and his wisdom of thinking and his shrewdness, he's going to take the people of Israel and solve both by enslaving them. Well, he thinks by enslaving the people that he's going to stop their growth. He's going to stop them from ever leaving the land and stop them from overpowering them. And he is dead wrong. In fact, his enslavement causes the opposite, and the the Israelite people continue to grow. God blesses them, and they grow, and they grow, and they grow, and they're multiplying and getting stronger. And so he moves to plan B. Plan B is to enlist the help of two Hebrew midwives. We talked about them later. Ladies if you and men, if you've got women or some, some daughters or some granddaughters, and you want to teach them about strong women and mighty faith, you bring them here. These two ladies were phenomenal in their faith of God. And we read they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And as Pharaoh told them, you kill all the firstborn male children, they refused to do so. And they posed Pharaoh. God preserved them, God protected them, and gave them families. And so Pharaoh now has to go public with his devious plan. And evil has snowballed from enslaving to quietly killing to now publicly involving the nation of Egypt and infanticide. Verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, 
Every son that born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Sin begets sin begets sin. It snowballs. I want to take a moment and do a sidebar comment, and I think it's real important in light of what's coming up this week. This is going to be January 20th on Friday. How many of you know what day that is? Most of us, right? It's all over the news. It's all over media. We inaugurate now President-elect Trump to be President Trump on Friday. We, as Christians, are strangers living in a strange land. We are to be separate and apart from this world. That man is not a righteous man. We pray that someday God will work on him and God will bring him along and he will come to faith in Jesus Christ and surrender his life to Christ and pursue God. But he's not there yet. That man speaks horribly of women. So much so that a lot of women in our country and our nation are fearing for their daughters and how other men are going to treat their daughters because the president of the United States says these things about women so other men will get in their minds they can say them as well. Brothers and sisters, we are to be unique and different from this world and honor the wonderful, incredible women God has placed in our lives and other daughters of other people. He also fails to appreciate and recognize the beauty of God's creation in different races and different tongues and different nations. God has made us unique and beautiful and different, and we are to honor those things and treasure those things. This country is still reeling from the sin of slavery that it invoked upon thousands of people, millions of people. We don't ever want to go back there. So we will treat people as as Christians, as, as people of God, with decency and respect and honor as God commands us to. Just because our commander-in-chief acts like an idiot doesn't mean we will act like idiots. This is our calling as God's people to love well. And some of you are like, boy, where did you get that in this text? We tell you what, evil begets evil. And if we perpetuate the evil of someone else, it's going to snowball and devastate people. And Christians aren't supposed to devastate one another. They're supposed to build each other up and put the kingdom of God on display. Amen. Amen. I hope I haven't stepped on too many toes. If I did, please come and see me this week. But if you've been reading news articles, and even when Fox News jumps on the bandwagon on some of this stuff, you're going, ooh, something's wrong. We continue on in this passage. We see here Pharaoh's issued this edict, and at the end of verse of chapter one, there may be this this reason to despair, like what in the world's taking place that the nation of Israel is doomed. But you got to understand, God is a delivering God. God has plans of deliverance in place for His people, and it says now. And this understanding of now is this transition of like Pharaoh may have this in mind, God has something completely different in mind. Just like Pharaoh is failing to keep the population and the growth of the Israelite people from growing, 
Pharaoh is now going to face one who will remove, help remove the nation of Israel from his clutches. Now, a man from the house of Levi, and I want to pause here for a second because this is this is so rich of a story. And as we as a preaching team met this week, they said, you are in trouble because there's so much here. I mean, I try to do my best to, to briefly summarize this for you, but I want you to look at the courage of the people that are involved in this narrative. A man and a woman looking to get married in a day and age where they're taking children and throwing them in the Nile. How many of you would desire to get married in a day and age where your child could be stolen from you and thrown in the Nile? You you would sit there and say, you know what? I like you, but we're going to remain friends because I'm not risking possibly our future children's life during this time. But these people feared God, had more courage in God than fearing man and what man could do. These people looked at what God was doing, and they said, you know, we're going to get married because we are children of the promise. We are children of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And God said, through the nation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nations would be blessed and grow as many as the sand on the seashore. And through, through one, all the nations would be blessed. We're going to be part of the promise. And they trusted God more than they trusted and believed in what man could do. And they said here, and the woman, could, so the man in a, uh, from the house of Levi went and took his wife as a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 that he was a beautiful child, that God gave them an indication that this child was unique and was worth defending with all their lives. And when she could hide him no longer, she, she, so she hid, uh, excuse me, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Could you imagine hiding a three-year-old, a three-month-old infant? Moms in this room are like, kidding me? Crying at all times of the day and night. I mean, that was incredible. The fear that they must have, the courage they must have had, but the fear they must have had is at the same time. And so when she could hold it, hide him no longer, as was already read, she made a basically a boat for her baby and put her baby in the Nile. Now you gotta understand, the Nile had creatures in it. The Nile was filled with dangers. And what's very interesting, the same Nile that was the babies were being thrown to would be a Nile that the, the liver would be drawn out of. So she places her baby in the Nile and she has Moses' older sister watch over him. And what happens? It says here that Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe like she normally did. And maybe... Maybe we don't know this, but maybe Moses' mom knew this, knew that, that, that Pharaoh's daughter was, was going to be there at this time and would possibly see Moses and possibly help Moses out. But that's even scary because who issued the command that, foes, that all the babies were supposed to be killed? Her daddy. Pharaoh's daddy, excuse me, Pharaoh's daughter's daddy is the one that commanded this. And she sees the basket, opens the basket up, reaches down as the servant brings her Moses She has compassion on Moses. Now, don't miss this statement. And when she opened it, verse 6, she saw the child beautiful and behold, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying and she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She didn't think this was an Egyptian baby. She knows she was in willful disobedience against her dad's plan. But this is an allusion to something that is going on. 
Through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed through his descendants. And Pharaoh's daughter is a picture of these future nations being blessed. And we read later on, and I don't want to give too much of the story away, but we read later on when the exodus occurs and the Israelite people leave. And if you've not read the story, I'm sorry I'm giving it away for you. You can you know, deal with me later. But they do get out of Egypt, okay? And they're put on this journey. But on their way out, they not only, it's not just Israelites who leave out of Egypt. Other nations join them as well. We see this indication that this is going to take place. God uses Pharaoh's own household to accomplish God's plan. Look at the irony of that. Pharaoh is trying to devise a way to make the Israelite people enslaved forever, in Egypt forever, and under his dominion forever, and his own household undermines him. Praise God. Then his sister said, I'll go get a nurse for you, and, and from amongst the Hebrew women, and look at this. How many of you moms were ever paid to raise your children? No hands? None. God here in this beautiful imagery here says, you know, I'm going to preserve the nation of Israel and also bless them. So that Moses is taken away. And he nurses at his mother's chest. For any of you who've ever done any studying of attachment theory or looking at that, this was vital in Moses' identity. Moses was a Hebrew. And he was loved by his Hebrew mother and brought up in a Hebrew home until he was of an age where he was taken into Pharaoh's household and raised as the daughter of Pharaoh's son. We read in Acts, and there's a reason I wanted you to look in Acts, because maybe you didn't know that there's so much written about Moses in the New Testament. But Moses is a type of Messiah. We see this when it talks about Jesus, meaning that Moses is a deliverer. But Moses is an imperfect deliverer. We're going to read about Moses' imperfections here in a little bit. But Moses was an imperfect deliverer, and we were in need of a perfect deliverer. Moses grows up, and in Acts chapter 7, we read that he, he was smart. He was powerful in his words and his speech, which we'll talk about that later when we get to the burning bush thing going on there. But Moses was, was smart. He was intellectual. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. And he was educated, highly educated individual for 40 years. For 40 years, he dwelt in the household of Pharaoh. God had a plan to deliver Israel by Moses' hand. God heard the cries of his people, and he delivers them through Moses. Enslaved. The people of Israel are enslaved. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning, we too were once an enslaved people. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, through God's ultimate plan of deliverance. So Moses, he, he merely led the people out of Israel, out of Egypt, and to, to the promised land, but he didn't even get to go in himself because of his sinful behavior. There is a deliverer in Jesus Christ, one 
who radically alters and changes our lives and completely delivers us from the sin, from sin and death so that those who are in Christ Jesus will forever live with him in all eternity. And if you're a child of God this morning, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he has delivered you from being a child of wrath, a child of, with a stone heart against God to a child who is in the family of God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that he accomplished for us. But there's still a problem, isn't there? Here, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about the need for our minds to be renewed. We still have a problem, and it's called our doggone mind, our flesh. We are still struggling to overcome that bondage, that enslavement. Positionally, yeah, we are children of God, but we are struggling in the flesh to be obedient to God. And with the amazing thing about our God, God's plan for deliverance isn't just let me move you from being a child of wrath to being now a child in God's family and at peace with God, and now I'm just going to let you go. But we have in Jesus Christ a great high priest who sits at the right hand of God in heaven and intercedes on our behalf. And never takes a day off, never takes any time off, so that we can continue to grow up in maturity in God and be redeemed over our enslaved minds and hearts. He is still working on us that we might grow up in him and be redeemed and restored and delivered from our own selfish ways. God's plan for deliverance is perfect and lacks nothing. But the problem that we have, one of the greatest problems we have is a problem that Moses had. And we see right here in verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, in Acts we read, he was 40 years old, and he went out to his people. How about that? When he's grown up, you're 40. My kids say 40s when I'm starting getting old. What's going on with that? But you're grown up, okay? When One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, I want you to pause here for a second. Who does Hebrew, or does, who does Moses identify as his people? The Hebrews. He knows he's a Hebrew child. He identifies. He wants to spend time with his people. He, so God has put it upon his heart to draw on towards the Hebrew people. You're not of the household of Pharaoh. I'm going to cause discontentment. You're not going to want to stay there. I'm going to draw you out of that, and you're going to be with desire to be with your people and he looked this and so when we see this idea of beating in the original language we gain an understanding this isn't just a normal whipping this is a beating that leads to death moses is watching and witnessing one of his fellow hebrew people about to die at the hand of a hebrew slave master in Moses' mind, there's only one thing to do. But at that moment, Moses makes a decision. He makes a decision to not look to God to be delivered, but to take Israel's deliverance into his own hands. How do we know that? Look at verse 12. He looked this way and that and seeing no one. Now, if I was to ask my teens in the room, you know, and us too, adults, we're not out of this one. We look this way and that, don't we? 
I'm about ready to do something wrong. I'm about ready to do something I shouldn't do. <laughs> Any cops coming? <laughs> Boom, right? You know, I, I got my rabbit out in front of me. I call them rabbits. See, I'm guilty. And they're out in front of me. And if they hit their brake lights, I'll be able to slow down in time, right? Nobody's looking. Nobody's watching. Heading for the cookie jar. Look this way. Look, there, there, there's Sour Patch in the, in, the, in the pantry. Where are the kids? Oh, they're not watching me. They won't tell on mom. But when the bag's gone, you just can't hide it anymore. <laughs> he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. Moses knew what he did was wrong. When he went out the next day, Moses was determined to be with his people. Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. Different terminology here. Different terminology. They're not beating each other to death, but they're in fisticuffs, which if you think about it, it's just stupid. This slave masters beat them enough. Why do they got to beat each other? And that's probably what Moses is thinking. Why are you guys fighting? Don't you get enough beaten on by the slave masters? Why do you strike your companion, Moses asked, and he answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Oh, somebody saw. Moses is now rejected on both cases. He's rejected right now as, as a person of Pharaoh's household, having killed this Egyptian and done wrong. And now he's rejected also as leader over the people of Israel. God's going to have to intervene. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Deliverance. You know, we... uh, we met as a preaching team this week, we, I began to ask them, in what ways do we need deliverance? In what ways do we try to deliver ourselves? As I sat with Bethany and Steve, it was very clear to see they both needed deliverance. Her from her sin and the denial of her sin and him from his hurt and pain. There, there are things, that, other things that we need deliverance from. As I've been spending some time, you know, talking with, with Glenn over a book that he, I don't have you started reading that book or you just read about the emotions? The, you started reading it. The, and and, and it, his book that he's sharing with me about the idea that as we grow up in Jesus Christ and as we draw closer to him, our emotions should grow up in Jesus Christ as well. You see, because we struggle to be a people that are controlled by our emotions. I want to be happy. uh, Therefore, my happiness will drive my life. And I will do things that make me happy. And what's right and what's wrong is determined by emotion of happiness. 
Or maybe the lack of control of emotions drives your life and you're enslaved to them. That one minute you're, you're like out here and you're enjoying life and somebody says two words to you and you don't, and all of a sudden in your mind you're going, whoa, that didn't come out right. And why are they mad at me? And all of a sudden now you're swung completely over here and you're going, oh, my life is terrible. I have no friends. I'm going to leave this place. And all of a sudden, our emotions go do this way and that way. And all of a sudden, we're now held captive by the emotion of the moment. Relationships can enslave us. Relationships that dictate to us our lives desire to make other people happy or a desire to have them make us happy, a desire for us to, to fix and control and to manipulate them. And we're, we're always focused on this relationship, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or with it's a spouse or with it's your children. I know parents that spend so much of their time striving, driving after their children's happiness and they're enslaved to their children. We were talking about some of our youth. One of the things that we dealt with, that we talked about, that I experienced a lot as a kid as well, is living in the fear of rejection. That fear of being rejected by others just saturates our hearts and our lives, and we're in bondage to this fear. Somebody won't like me, or I will say the wrong thing, or I'll wear the wrong thing. Or, or, or if I don't have the right group of friends... And this fear just saturates our hearts and our lives, and we're in bondage to it. We're enslaved to it. And that, that can also lead us to, to, to keep our faith back from sharing with other people because we're afraid that if we talk about Jesus or how he loves us and how he's delivered us, that they, they will make fun of us or they'll push away from us or they want to draw near to us. And that, that fear keeps us even from sharing the word of God, enslaves us. I was reading in a New York Times magazine that Men are now facing something that they didn't normally face in, in history past. After a survey of so many men, they, they discovered that men are more worried with their self-image than women are. Fabulous. And we can thank movies like 300, and you know, where all the guys are like chiseled, and I'm not advocating you'll see that movie, but you got eight packs and bulging biceps and triceps and veins popping out everywhere, and all the ladies go, ooh, la, la, and all of a sudden the guys go, ooh, I gotta look like that in order to be. And so hours in the you know, gym become full days in the gym. Relationships are neglected as we strive for that self image that other people go, oh, yeah, they're, they've got it going on. That self-image. And ladies, don't think you're off the hook on that. <laughs> and bondage to what other people think about you. Enslaved. Debt. We're enslaved to our jobs because we owe so much. And we're so fearful of losing our jobs because our debt's so high. We'll lose our house, our home, everything. Like a bad country song and all the things will just crumble down. We're enslaved to debt and to money. Or we're enslaved to the opposite where we've just got to have more and more and more and more and more and it's never enough. I've got to have more power, more wealth, more possessions. I've got to have more and more and more. And this is this wickedness that's enslaved us in our hearts. It's never enough. Or, and I want to handle this one with care. It's like Steve. 
enslaved to his hurt, not seeing how God can heal him of his hurt. There are so many different ways and that we can be enslaved, and I saved my for last. This last year, God has really shown me something that I, I am enslaved to food. I'm 267 pounds. Never weighed this much in my life. I need to take ibuprofen or Tylenol in between the services so I can stand for both services. I've tried on my own power and own strength to overcome my, my food problems time and time again, and the only thing that happens is I just keep getting heavier. I'm not alone in this because I know the, the obesity statistics in, a, in this country. We're the fattest country in the world. My body is supposed to be something that belongs to God, and I use to glorify him. And so God has been dealing with my heart and my life on what, what's the problem there. And I'm looking for food to fulfill something in my heart and my life that I'm not letting God fulfill. Instead of going to the Lord in prayer when I'm having my cravings and, and satisfying those desires. And for some of you, you don't get it. And so you don't get it, you'll offer me another piece of cheesecake or you'll offer me another piece of pie or you say, oh, you're not that fat. I need you to get it. And I need you, when other people confess their struggles to you in places where they need deliverance from, to get it. To care for one another, to say something to each other, that when you see each other struggling in those areas, to come alongside of one another and say, hey, listen, you've confessed this struggle. You've confessed you need deliverance in this, and I want to be a part of that as your brother and sister in Christ. You see, we will try so many different ways. We will read the seven habits of whatever. We will read this book on that and try to figure out how we can fix ourselves. But instead of drawing into the Lord and drawing into the family of God, we keep trying to deliver ourselves from our sins and we keep failing. And we become defeated and we finally either give in to the sin or we elevate our sin to something else. And it perpetuates more and more sin. I'm not alone in having a struggle. Jeffrey, last week, at the end of the sermon, posed an excellent question. And I hope you dealt with it. And if not, I'm going to ask you to deal with it today. And that question is, where in your life do you need deliverance? Where are you struggling to pursue and be obedient to God? What is enslaving your life and your heart? And let me tell you something. Just like food isn't going to be fixed today or tomorrow. I got some wonderful folks who came from, for me from first service. They came up to me and said, you know, I'll be praying for you because I know it's a journey. I've struggled with it myself, and it's going to take a while for you to overcome that that fix that you get from food and the Lord and drawing that, that, that desire to be with the Lord. Where in your life that you need to begin a journey on, that you need to mark in the sand today, I'm going to begin my journey on being delivered from this. What is it? 
Because God wants to deliver us. God has a perfect plan in his Savior, Jesus Christ, to deliver us. What is it we need delivered from? Are we going to have the courage then to turn to somebody we love and that cares for us and say, this is what I need to be delivered from. And I need your prayers for it. I need, I need you to come alongside me and ask me how it's going. I need to be delivered from this. And only God can deliver me, so I need your help. You see, the beautiful thing about our God is, God at that moment could have turned to Moses and said, smoke button. I'm going to cook you in place. Moses, you're an idiot. Look what I have done. You were, you were born to a, a Levite couple in the midst when babies were being killed. I preserved you. You floated in the Nile. You were drawn out by a Pharaoh's daughter. You were raised in Pharaoh's house. You've been preserved. I've done all these amazing things in your life. When are you going to get it that I'm the true one? I'm the true God who will deliver this nation if you'll just get on my plan. Well, God is gracious. He says here, Moses flees in verse 16. Now the, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Now notice this. Moses is going to another foreign place who and going to dwell with a priest who worships a pagan god. Mary, the daughter of the priest of a pagan, idoling, worshiping. It's just setting up. If Moses had not done this, and sin causes problems. Don't miss that. When we take matters into our own hands, it, sin causes more problems. We just do things and it causes more and more sin and we've got more and more issues to deal with. So Moses now has issues to deal with as his own household and we're going to see about that in a little bit. But you have to take my word for it for a second. And Moses, here he goes, and the shepherds came to harass these daughters of the priest. And Moses steps in and saves them, and they water the flock, and they go home to their father, Raul, and he says, how is it how you come home early today? <laughs> Gotta love this. Raul daily sends his daughters into, into a fight. You've come home early today. Why are you home early? Wasn't there a fight today? Didn't you have to struggle to get water with these other people? This was a, so this whole idea of like, I mean, that's probably not a great parenting technique. Right to the little not good parenting technique, okay? But here he is. And Moses has stepped in and he's preserved and he watched over these daughters. And Raul, who also known as Jethro. And it says here in verse 19, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us. How is Moses perceived right now? An Egyptian. Don't miss that. Moses looks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian, probably smells like an Egyptian. Probably has the haircut of an Egyptian. An Egyptian has delivered us today. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershon. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. God is going to use Moses' time in Midian to get Moses on God's plan. Do you think this was just a pleasant, wonderful time for him to be completely separated from his nation of people? No. But Moses 
had to be taken away and redeemed by God so that he could be God's deliverer for the nation of Israel. God, in order to get hold of our hearts and help us be set free from the enslaved things that we have entangled ourselves with, he's going to take us through some rough times so that we can experience freedom. And as we get on his plan. How does God deliver us? There are a couple books that I would love for my church family to join me in reading as we go through Exodus. I thought about a commentary, but most commentaries on Exodus are about that thick, and I thought somebody would shoot me if I brought one of them up. But the first one um, is a phenomenal book. I can't say enough about it. It's called Redemption. It's a story of becoming unslaved to the things of this world through the story of Exodus. It's powerful. You will cry. You will weep. It will get hold of your heart. Yes, men, even you. These are powerful stories, very easy to read, great questions to reflect on, and there's scriptural readings for each chapter. I really, really, really encourage you to go through this book. These are going to be posted up on the website. They're also going to be sent to you via email if you're on our email list. The second one is I'm going to reach out to the men in this room. It's Disciplines of a Godly Man. You see, to overcome enslavement to sin, we need to become disciplined men in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a difference between discipline and legalism. This book in the first chapter talks about it. Legalism is where I'm trying to earn credit with God by making a bunch of rules. That's not what we're looking to do. We're trying to look into what Jesus is calling us to do and be, and because we love him, because of what he has done for us, we want to be obedient to him and pattern our lives after him. We have a lot of issues. We're a messy people. Amen? But we have a God who has provided a perfect plan of deliverance for us. He enables us to overcome and no longer remain enslaved to the things that the evil one wants to see us tied down with. The evil one's got a lot of schemes and we've bought into a lot of them. But God can deliver us. That's why during this series you're going to hear us pray that concluding prayer to that confessional that we said together over and over again that our Lord God by his power and his might would deliver us and keep us walking on this journey of redemption please join with me in prayer Father God I thank you that you not only have provided for us this deliverance, you have given us the ability to take hold of the deliverer, you've given us the ability to obey the deliverer, you've given us the ability to be forgiven and put back on our feet even when we're in disobedience. Lord God, may we start this journey of redemption together. Lord God, we recognize that in order to be obedient unto you 
and be obedient unto your words. We've got to live in community with each other. We've got to strengthen one another. We've got to lift each other up. and We've got to come alongside of each other. And Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who are going to take this real seriously this morning and who are going to begin to contemplate in their hearts and their minds where they need to be delivered. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would powerfully shine the light on their hearts and make it vividly clear to all of us this morning where we need to be delivered and that we would start that journey today. Then we would look to the stories of Exodus and we would lean into our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, to understand what it means to be delivered, that we would pray, that we would read the scriptures, that we would fellowship with one another. Lord God, please, don't leave us alone. Mess with us until we pull our heads out of the sand. Lord God, that we would pursue you. Please, Lord, don't give, give up on us. Lord God, we want to love you and we want to live for you. In Jesus' most holy, wonderful name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.